time into football for 18 years. Yeah. You know, I, I spent 18 years in commercial real estate where I, I really, I, I liked what I did and I made a good living at it, but I didn't have the passion that I had for football and I had to find a way to get to the end of that rainbow. Hi, everybody. So excited to share my conversation with Mike Mayock. He has one of the coolest Philadelphia success stories. Mike was born and raised in Philadelphia. He is the oldest of seven kids, and today he has two awesome children, Lee and Michael. He went to the Haverford School for high school and then went on to Boston College, where he was the captain of the football and baseball team and was inducted into the Boston College Hall of Fame in 2001. After college, he had a short stint in the NFL for two years, playing for the Steelers and Giants. Then from 1984 to 2003, he pursued a job in the commercial real estate industry in the greater Philadelphia area. Although he was making a comfortable financial living in commercial real estate, he knew he had to find a way to pursue his true passion, which was football. So as a side hustle, he would announce high school football games. He started at the very bottom and did any sort of game to get his foot in the door. As time went on, Mike began to get recognized and started doing more football games at higher levels. Everyone thought it was cool he was doing these games, but no one ever really thought it would amount to anything significant. In fact, Mike stayed at his day job in commercial real estate for 18 whole years before he got his big break at the NFL Network in 2003. But even with the job offer from the NFL Network, it was still a bit of a risk given that he had to take a pay cut. Mike took the risk, accepted the job, and never looked back. He told me it was one of the best decisions in his entire life. Today, he's one of the most profoundly well-respected people at the NFL Network. And the next time you see him on national television, I hope he will be a reminder of someone that used grit, patience, and perseverance to turn their passion into a real-time job. So welcome, Mike, to High Five Success Stories. Really excited to have you here. So there's a couple of reasons why I'm really excited. Number one is you were born and raised in Philadelphia. And given that I have a lot of Philadelphia listeners, I always get super excited when I have the opportunity to feature a Philadelphia success story. Um, number two, as we were talking about before, I do a lot of work with your brother, Dan. So he's a broker in commercial real estate, and he is one of my favorite people to work with. I'm not just saying that because he's your brother. Um, and number three, I went to high school with your daughter, Lee, and she was a rock star on the basketball team, a lot better than I was. So I think it's pretty cool that I get to feature um, her dad. So I thought we'd start out by having you provide the listeners with a little bit of background on where you grew up and went to school. Well, I'm, I'm the oldest of seven kids, and uh, my dad was a football coach in the Philadelphia area, and he coached in college at University of Penn, and high school at Malvern Prep and Haverford School, and um, he one of the biggest influences in my life were my parents mm -hmm. and, uh, and my brothers and sisters, and I, I think the cool thing for me, Steph, is I'm almost 60 years old now, and I look at my six younger brothers and sisters, and everybody in their own way works their tail off, is a good parent, is a good friend, and I think it really is the residue of having two great parents and a great family. I love that. So you were the oldest of seven? Correct. What was it like growing up with um, so many siblings? Well, we grew up in West Philadelphia. And in, in that area of Overbrook, everybody had a ton of kids. As a matter of fact, in our neighborhood, people used to say, let's go over to the Mayox because they only have seven. Okay. <laughs> so I'll tell you what was cool, though, is that in those days, 
uh, you know, the mom, mom could just kind of kick everybody out of the house at, at 7.30 or 8 in the morning and say, I don't want to see it to lunch. And you kind of roll out of there after breakfast, and there was always a ball game going on somewhere, wiffle ball, basketball, football. Kids were in the streets playing ball. It's a lot different than today where everybody's, you know, sitting there looking at a uh, some kind of game, gaming option on television. Right. Uh, it was very physical. It was very outdoors. And from my perspective, it was a great way to grow up. Yeah, I love that. And then you went to, um, like I said, we have a lot of Philadelphia people probably tuning in right now. So you went to the Haverford School and then um, Boston College. Yeah, we, we probably didn't have enough money. We I know we didn't have enough money for any of us to go to a private school. Mm-hmm. But because my dad was the head football coach and a math teacher at Haverford School, all five boys in my family got a free education. So um, from our perspectives, it was, it was really a, a nice jump start on getting into a good college. Right. And then you went on to um, Boston College where you were the captain of the football team there? Yeah, I played football and baseball. And I was the captain of both the teams. Okay, very cool. I thought thought that Boston College was, uh, as a matter of fact, this this weekend I've got 12 of my Boston College football teammates coming down to Ocean City, New Jersey to hang out and lie about how good we used to be. <laughs> That's awesome. Um, my two older sisters went there, so they'll be excited to listen to this too. Um, cool. Yeah, so, and then after Boston College, you played in the NFL for a couple of years, right? Yeah, what happened was I was drafted in the 10th round by the Pittsburgh Steelers, and at, at that point, they were really, really good. Come, they had four Super Bowls in the 70s. This was 1981. Uh, I made it to the final cut, got cut, went up to Canada, uh, played, uh, finished the season with the Toronto Argonauts till I broke an ankle, and then I signed with the New York Giants, and I played a couple years with the Giants until I tore both both my knees and, okay. and back in Back in the day, if you tore an ACL and you were a defensive back, you were kind of done. Okay, got it. Um, so at that point, did you go right into commercial real estate right after you finished with the Giants? Pretty much. I, okay. I had some decisions to make. One of them was that I want to go right into coaching and football, which I think most people thought I would do. And I kind of felt like, okay, I've spent my whole life in football. And now let's see what else is out beyond that. Okay. Um, and I interviewed in several different professions and really I, I like the energy in commercial real estate and I, I worked for three different companies over an 18 year period. Okay. So I'm in commercial real estate. So selfishly, I'm super interested in sort of what you did in the industry. And then, um, so if you can tell us a little bit about that and then are there any skills that you learned from commercial real estate that you use, um, today with your career? Yeah, I think, um, there's got to be a relentless effort towards networking mm. in, in, in just about any industry. But what I like, I remember vividly in my first year in commercial real estate in South Jersey, uh, the first time I ever had to cold call. I think cold calling was different in my day than yours. You know, we would start at the top of the building and work our way down just banging on doors. And I, I remember starting at, a, I think it was an eight-story building called One Cherry Hill in New Jersey. And uh, I started on the top floor and I got through about two or three floors where I literally didn't get past one secretary to talk to anybody. Uh-huh. And I was shaking. I literally, I went down to my car, I sat in my car and I was like, Mike, you know, is this industry for you? I mean, you know, you're awful. You can't even get, you can't talk to anybody. You can't get past the secretary. What are you going to do? And I, I hated it. Mm-hmm. And I, I, I made myself go back into the building and finish the canvas, the cold calling of that building. And really what I learned is that 
regardless of the industry, there's some things you don't like about it. Mm-hmm. And, and you really need, just like in life, you need to attack it and overcome it and find a way to finish the job, to get it done. And, and I think that uh, I learned how to canvas. I learned how to cold call. I learned how to network. And uh, I think that helps in any, any industry. Yeah, I totally agree. I've had some um, funny cold calling stories too, but it makes you, it makes you better though at the end of the day. Um, yes. I emailed someone actually, this is kind of a funny story, when I first started, I emailed them about our buildings and, you know, trying to get this prospect to come see a space. And I accidentally hit the email twice, and the guy wrote me back, and he said, Stephanie, you emailed me two times in a matter of six minutes. During those six minutes, my interest level did not increase from 0%. (laughs) 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 So you can have some fun with it, too. (laughs) You know, what's interesting is that I think people don't understand especially young people. I, I, I don't think young people in general don't understand it's okay to fail. Mm-hmm. The, important, the, the important thing is to try. The right. thing is to keep doing it. And the lessons you learn when you fail sometimes are more valuable than the lessons you learn when you succeed. Right. So then, like, when did you start doing the broadcasting as a side hustle? How old were you, too? Well, I, I had been a couple of years into commercial real estate, and I kind of knew that somehow football had to be part of my life. Mm -hmm. And I was probably, I don't know, 27, 28, 29, somewhere in that age. And I didn't start having children yet. And and, uh, my my daughter, Lee, was about a year away from at that point. And I started doing high school football games in the Philadelphia area on the radio. Basically, I did Ridley games. I did Westchester games. I, I remember going in and the first Westchester game, I, I knocked on the uh, the head coach's door. I think he was an English or a math teacher, like on Thursday before the game. And I, I said, excuse me, my name's Mike Mayock. I used to play for the Giants, and I'm doing your game on Saturday. I want to pick your brain. And this head coach just started laughing. He said, let me get this straight. You, you play for the New York Giants. You're doing our game. You want to pick my brain? I was like, absolutely. Yeah. And we sat down in his classroom, and he, I had him up on the blackboard. He was diagramming plays, telling me what he was going to do. I mean, it was awesome. And, and I knew at that moment that I was back in my element. That we were talking ball. We were talking technical football. And I had to find a way to continue this because it was like a lifeblood for me. I came alive when this guy started talking ball. Okay. So then what did you do from that point forward? Um, what other um, jobs were you able to pick up? Well, what happened was that the kids were young, Michael and Lee. You know, I mean, you got to you got to support your kids financially. You got you got to make it work. So, commercial real estate was my lifeblood. I had some good bosses that understood that as long as I got my job done, they were okay with me doing some other things. Mm-hmm. So, my next, my first television job was New Jersey Network, and basically, I was the sideline reporter for Princeton and Rutgers games on New Jersey Network, where. I'd be interviewing mascots and, and mothers and girlfriends in the stands, and, and it wasn't what I wanted because I wanted to be up in the booth talking football, not on the sideline being a, a reporter. But because I was not a big name NFL guy, I was just a guy. Mm-hmm. You kind of had to put your t- you had to put your time in. So right. I, I did two years at New Jersey Network. I sent tapes out to everybody that was doing college football. I banged on the door in Bristol, Connecticut to get to the decision maker in college football. Um, again, I cold called him. I canvassed him. I was relentless. And he gave me a bowl, a, a bowl game to do as a sideline reporter, and I did okay. And from there, he gave me 
sideline reporting assignments up in Canada in the CFL. Okay. So while I was still in commercial real estate, I was I was up in Canada on weekends doing games. And finally, they put me up in the booth, and I started doing some CFL games and arena games and low-level college games. So for two or three years, that was ESPN, and I just did every low-level game they had. And from there, I kind of just made my way through different places. I did CBS Sports and a bunch of different things. And, and the big break staff came when the NFL Network started in like 2003 or four or whatever, and I auditioned for that and got the job to be their college slash draft guy. Okay. Um, I read about that. And then, um, Mike, really quickly, too, were you encountering any naysayers? So you were in commercial real estate, I guess, from, like, 1984 up until 2003. Um, Did any of your friends or family think that you were a little bit crazy for doing this so much on the side? I I think that um, the majority of people, even really well-meaning people and friends and I think they all felt like they knew I was a football guy and I had to scratch an itch. Mm-hmm. But realistically, it was never going to get to anything that would be self-sustaining. Okay. And then I did also read this really cool story about um, when you gave a speech to kids at a CYO game, I think, and your son was there. And you were telling them to follow your passion. Do you remember this? And then... Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> I mean, basically what it was, it was a CYO team at a banquet. And I took my son, Michael, along probably, you know, plus or minus 10 years old at the time. My whole message to kids, high school, grade school, is everybody has something they love and something they're good at and follow your passion. Don't worry about the money. Don't worry about the long-term picture. Mm-hmm. Chase, chase what you love. And we got in the car afterwards, and, and my son Michael said, Dad, you know, you're not exactly doing what you're, what you're preaching. And I said, what do you mean, Mike? He said, well, you're a hypocrite. I said, what are, what are you talking about? He said, your passion is football. Why are you doing commercial real estate? And I'm sitting there looking at my 10-year-old trying to explain to him or how to, trying to figure how to explain to him that I have a family financially I have to provide for. I can't make a jump or I can't. And so I'm trying to kind of explain it to Michael. And in my own head, I'm going, maybe the kid's right. Maybe I've got one foot in commercial real estate, the other in football, and I need to commit fully. And and over the next couple of years, I thought an awful lot about it. And ultimately, uh, I I went in and talked to Gary Holloway, my boss at GMH Associates, and told him I loved what I did, but I needed to go chase this football thing if, if I wanted to feel good about who I was. Okay. And then it was in 2003 when you got the big break. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, it was um, NFL Network was starting and they were holding auditions at NFL Films in Mount Laurel, New Jersey. Okay. I was lucky enough to get an audition, and I thought I knocked it out of the park. I prepared hard. I was ready to go. But there was all these big-name guys, former NFL players and coaches, that I was competing with. And like usual, television executives feel a comfort level with big names, as do advertisers. Mm-hmm. So they called me. A guy named Howard Katz called me in the next morning, and he said, Mike, you did great yesterday. Uh, I can't offer you the job you auditioned for because we need a bigger name, but we, we've got to figure out how to develop the college market as well, and we'd like you to be our college guy and NFL draft guy, and I actually got into an argument with him. I was like, Howard, I really appreciate it, but I'm tired of being passed over for big names, and I was kind of like, who had the best audition yesterday? He said, you did. I said, well, why won't you hire me for that job? And he said, because I can't. You don't have a name. 
you know, we can't support that. And he and I went back and forth and finally said, look, Mike, there's one guy out there named Mel Kuyper, and he's been doing this for years, and he's the only guy out there. And we need you to get out there and compete with them, and we don't know how to do it. So you can take it in any direction you want. So that appealed to me, and I took about, I don't know, 30 cents on the dollar compared to what I was making in commercial real estate, mm-hmm. you know, to, to move on and, and, and be 100% involved with the football gig. And I never looked back. It's the best decision I ever made. I love that. So you did take um, a pay cut when you first went into the industry. Well, I, I already had basically quit the industry, but based on what I had been making six months earlier, yeah, I took a big pay cut. Okay. Um, and then did you have an aha moment when you realized um, you were going to be much bigger than you ever were in commercial real estate? I don't know. I don't know if I had an aha moment. I, what happened, to, to make a really long story very short with the NFL Network, is, is I've been there ever since, but they've given me the ability to also do games. So, mm-hmm. Steph, my, my job is kind of a combination of I spend 10 months a year preparing for the NFL draft. Okay. But, but I'm also able to do games in the fall, which I love more than anything. Right. Because it br- brings me closer to the players and the coaches. And, and I think when I look back, my favorite moments are doing games. And, mm-hmm. and I had an opportunity to do Notre Dame games for five years for mm-hmm. NBC Sports. That's awesome. And I did, I did Thursday night football for three or four years. So so I did a bunch, and I did playoff games. And for I mean, I, I did a bunch of big-time games on, a, on national television, and that was a bigger platform probably than I ever thought I'd get. Yeah. And Mike, while we're talking about your schedule, um, there's a lot of listeners out there that might not know that much about football. So can you tell us exactly what your schedule looks like now throughout the year? Yeah, basically what happens is in July of every year, I get a list from NFL teams, buddies of mine around the league, that give me a list of college players that will be entering their senior years in the fall. Mm -hmm. And I take that list and I start grinding tape, college football tape, of those players to get a good feel for who the best players are at each position. And that's an ongoing process from July to the drafts next April, May. Okay. So the, the tape work on the college players is all consuming. And I can't even tell you how many hours a day that is over, over that period of time. And, but in the fall, I get, I usually do games, whether it's on television or Westwood one radio, NFL games, college games, so I'm all over the country doing games in the fall, and then starting in January is my busiest period for the draft because I've got two all-star college all-star games. Uh, then we go to the scouting combine where I have to know 335 college players. Then we go from the combine into pro days where I travel the country for the next five weeks watching college players work out every day in a different city. And then we roll into April, which is the draft. And that, that three-day period is kind of like my final exam or my Super Bowl or whatever because you spend 10 months studying these kids, and then you get to the, the three-day draft period, and you know, you're know you on television for about 25 hours over those three days, and you either know what you're talking about or you don't. And then the draft ends, and I collapse and disappear in Ocean City and go on vacation and drink a couple beers and hang out. Yeah, you deserve your weekend um, in Ocean City with your friends this coming weekend. <laughs> That's crazy, though. That's cool, though. And then, Mike, can you tell us about some of the obstacles and setbacks that you face now in the broadcasting industry? You mentioned before about 
you know, the major name recognition that sometimes you get overlooked because you don't have, you know, the Hall of Famer name. Is that a sort of a setback that you still experience? Well, I, I think it's my biggest frustration mm-hmm. is when I look around the industry, it's, it's kind of ironic because the guys doing the hiring for broadcasters, it's the only industry I know where they know less about the product than the guys they're hiring. Mm-hmm. You know, think about it in commercial real estate staff. I mean, the person hiring you, what if that person knew less about commercial real estate than you do when you were 23 years old? Yeah. I mean, you know, it's kind of crazy, but that's where the name recognition comes in. The advertisers want Pro Bowl names and former coaches. And the, the, the frustration for me is that it doesn't really translate into the hardest workers or the best football knowledge. And uh, TV goes through those guys like you can't believe. The guys last for a year or two or three because they don't put the work in or where they, they feel entitled or whatever the issue is, they don't bring the same energy to the broadcast booth that they brought to their playing careers. Mm-hmm. And, I, and I sit there and go, well, what's wrong with guys like myself and Charles Davis and, and Rich Gannon? And I, I could name you 10 guys that care and love and love the sport, but don't get the same opportunities. So I I think that probably in my industry, even though I I love what I do with the NFL Network and I love the draft and and I'm so fortunate to do it, I just still get frustrated that a lot of really good people get passed over because of name recognition. Right. Um, So how do you stay positive then during those situations? No, I mean, I'm I'm the luckiest guy in the world because I'm getting paid to talk football. And, yeah, you know, so I, I I get I can't even tell you how many great experiences I've had over the years because in you know in the 15 16 years I've been with NFL Network my job is to be in all 32 NFL buildings so I've established relationships with guys throughout the league head coaches general managers uh, you know players you know I can get on the phone with just about a, a lot of people and mm-hmm. just sit there and talk ball. And, mm-hmm. and the, I tell me and my dad, again, my dad was a football coach. He and I will sit down. He's 84 years old now. And we just laugh about it. We'll have a beer. And, and he's like, I can't believe that, you know, you used to play for Bill Belichick. And, and now you guys get on the phone and talk ball. And for, for a guy that grew up the way I did, I have nothing to complain about. Are, are there frustrations? Sure. But you, I love the life I have. And, and I love the fact that it's it's centric about just talking ball. That's yeah. what I do. I love that. That's awesome. And Mike, your schedule seemed really crazy during those ten months. Do you have any time management tactics that you can offer the listeners? Uh, that's interesting. It's <laughs> it's funny because my wife, who's a psychologist, says that like most men, um, um, uh, <laughs> my identity is tied to task. I'm task oriented. So her point is that women multitask much better, which I think they do. But she said, her point is basically I'm relentless on on my task oriented issues. So I get those lists in July, man, and that's task number one. I got to know those guys like the back of my hand. And then then we get into September or October and I pick, pick a game. Say I have the Eagles at the Seahawks on Sunday. Then you know, Monday, Monday's Philadelphia, Tuesday, Seattle, Wednesday, 
we're back to the flip side of offense or defense of those two teams, Thursday special teams. I mean, I, I just have this whole kind of program in place where I attack it task by task. And from a time management perspective, I, I also just, I'm old school. I don't have anything on my laptop or I, I've got paper. I've got my old school calendars and I just keep myself on track with all these things that, that I've got to get done every day or I can't go to bed. Yeah. That's awesome. I love that advice. Um, and then one question I have too, I ask this to a lot of people I have on um, the podcast is um, the art of listening. So I read once that during a meeting, a CEO of a company kept writing down DNT on his yellow notepad. So then one of the employees after the meeting saw and asked talk. what it meant. And it says, do not talk. Right. So um, this way he can practice you know, listening to his team members. So in what ways do you practice the art of listening in your industry? Yeah, it's a really good question, and, and I always tell myself I have to do a better job with that. And literally, especially when I'm when you're sitting there talking with a head coach of an NFL team or a general manager or a scout or a coach, I constantly tell myself, and I even tell my buddies around the league, I'm, you know, I mean, these guys know more football than I do. Mm-hmm. And from a you know from a media perspective, I might know more football than most people in the media, but from a football perspective with football coaches and GMs, and I, I have to constantly tell myself if I keep my mouth shut, I'm going to learn a hell of a lot more because these guys know a lot more than me. Mm-hmm. And, and instead of trying to push out my knowledge to them, I'm, I'm basically practicing the philosophy you just talked about, do not talk. I'm sitting there saying, shut your mouth. You know, my dad always used to say, you got one mouth and two ears, you use them correspondingly. Mm-hmm. And, and it, it's, I, I think what you're doing now with your podcast, your ability to ask questions and get people to open up is a really valuable tool. And that's something over the years I've, I've learned that I need to get better at even to this day. I need to listen better and I need to ask better questions. Um, I love that. That's good advice. And then, so Mike, a lot of listeners may also have a side hustle or a passion that they want to go after. Um, how would you encourage them to pull the trigger? Everybody's situation is different. You know, there, there are financial realities mm-hmm. to everybody's life. Right. And the younger you are, the less attached you are, husbands, wives, children, etc. the easier it is to go chase your passion, which is why I try to get the young people to go to, to just say, for, you know, I, I know you went to a good college or you're going to a good college, whatever, but at the end of the day, what are you good at and how do you get there? How do you make a living there? And, and how do you stay there? Are you an artist? Do you have a passion for chemistry? I don't care what it is. Find it and chase it. And the earlier, the earlier you do it, the easier it is to accomplish your goals. However, if you're, you know, if, if you're down the road, I think you just have to use common sense like I did. I mean, I didn't get to go full-time into football for 18 years. Yeah. You know, I, I spent 18 years in commercial real estate where I, I really, I, lo- I liked what I did and I made a good living at it, but I didn't have the passion that I had for football and I had to find a way to get to the end of that rainbow. How do I get the full-time job? And, and it was frustrating at times, but there were, you know, there's economic realities. And I think you just have to, you have to have a kind of a clear vision of where you want to get to, A, and then B, 
I think you just have to follow all the little steps to get there. I, my son sent me an article, Steph, on mm-hmm. um, goals versus, it was basically goals versus tasks. And mm-hmm. the, the goal is I want to be full-time, say, in football. The tasks are what do you do daily to get there? And I think in any industry, it's critical to establish those tasks. Mm-hmm. I love that. I'm actually, I just finished um, Jay Wright's book um, called Attitude, and he talks about that too, about yep. doing, um, you know, the step-by-step, trusting the process, as he would say. Yep. <laughs> um, so, Mike, do we have a, a quick, you know, five minutes for rapid fire? Go ahead. Okay. So, what advice would you offer to your 30-year-old self? And selfishly, I'm 30, and I know Lee is too, so any advice you can give to us would be awesome. I think I would stay with the same thing. Um, regarding the passion, but I would add to it that along the way, the most important thing in any industry or, or in your life are people. And sometimes we get caught up with other things we can buy, things we can have. And what I realize is the older I get, and I wish I'd realized it earlier, was that there's nothing more important than, than the people you work with, the people you love, the people, your family. And it reinforces to me at age 59, I've got 12 of my Boston College guys coming here this weekend. And that's what it's all about, that, that 40-year relationship with people. People, mm-hmm. pe- people are the most important thing in your life. And I think sometimes we come to that conclusion too late. Okay. I like that. And then um, do you have any daily routines that help you conquer the day? Yeah. Uh, I'm a workout guy. And if I don't get four or five workouts a week, I get I get real crotchety. And uh, the, the two things I do that I believe really help my life are working out and reading. Okay. And my reading is typically, I might do self-help stuff and all, but I mean, I, I like I like the action, you know, action. I, I'm on planes all the time, mm-hmm. and I need, a, I need a chance to get away from the football and the grind. And, and I, I read and I work out. They're the two things. Yeah. They actually say that, you know, a lot of people say you should exercise for 30 minutes a day, and they say you should yeah. also read for 30 minutes a day. So, and then speaking of books, if you could give one book to every person you met, what would it be? One book to every person I <laughs> met, who would it be? I, th- I think the book, well, I mean, it sounds silly, but the book about Bill Belichick um, by, uh, I, for, I, can't, I forget his name right now, there's a book out there several years ago I read about Belichick, and maybe because I know him, but there's so many life lessons in that book mm-hmm. about work ethic and, and tracking what you're trying to do and why you're trying to do it and how you go about it. Uh, I found it fascinating. Yeah. And you know what, Mike, I'll put that in the show notes. I'll find it and I can uh, okay. put it in the show notes. Um, and one last question I promise. So James Keating, he's our intern at Hayden real estate. I promise that he could ask you one question at the very end. So he, and he's football related. So go ahead, James. Uh, <laughs> uh, big, big fan, James, Mr. Mayock. Wait, James, wait a minute. James, there's one rule to this. Hey, man, you're, not, me. you're not allowed to ask about Haverford Malvern football games when I was in high school. All right. All right sounds like a deal. All right. So <laughs> who's, who's the one guy that you wish you could have back? Like you either graded him way too high and he turned out to be a bust or you were too low on him and he turned out to be a stud. There, there are two guys, really, that are in the same category, and they play the same position, which is the hardest position to evaluate, and that's quarterback. And the two guys are Blaine Gabbert and Johnny Manziel. And Blaine Gabbert, I talked myself into and allowed other people to help talk me into the fact that he could be a big-time quarterback. And I, 
I, I saw some things on film I didn't like. I didn't think he had good pocket awareness, but I allowed myself to believe because he was a big, strong kid, big arm, athletic, smart. I allowed myself to believe he could learn certain things, which he never did. And the second thing is Johnny Manziel. And I stand by my football evaluation of him, but I didn't know a darn thing. You know, I, I thought, ah, he'd like to have a couple beers in college. What's the big deal? But at that position, you've got to demand excellence, everything on the field, off the field. And again, I talked myself into Johnny Manziel. And James, that my dad, the only advice my dad really ever gave me about this industry was he was like, Mike, you grew up with football. You know what you're doing. If you're going to make a mistake, make it your mistake. Nobody else's. Don't let people talk you into things. And, and those two evaluations bother me more probably than any other evaluations I've ever done because I kind of talked myself into changing what I had already studied. Okay. Okay, cool. And la- last one quick. Uh, any idea when we can expect Carson back? I have no idea, but I'll tell you what's really interesting. And, and because he's such a great athlete competitor, he'll be back early. But um, the NFL Network does a thing in conjunction with the players to do a countdown from the top 100 players in the league. And it was just released this week. I saw that. that. I saw that. Carson, yeah. Carson Wentz was voted by NFL players as the third best football player in the NFL. And I kind of laughed because he, when he came out of North Dakota State, I had him number one, not just as my quarter, number one quarterback, but the best player in that draft. And people gave me all kinds of crap. And I just laughed because the, the kid was the easiest quarterback evaluation I had to do since Andrew Luck. He's really special, and Philadelphia is so fortunate for a lot of reasons to have that young man in their lives. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Awesome. Um, well, Mike, that was a lot of fun. I think um, I think we touched on everything. Hey, I'm happy we were able to do it, stuff. Yeah, nice that was... job by you. Nice job by you. Oh yeah, no, it was fun. And and again, thank you to your brother, um, your brother Dan, because I, I was I, I reached out to him in October, and he's like, don't reach out to him until you know after the draft. So I waited, and then I finally got to talk to you. So um, yeah. I'm pumped that we yeah. got to do this. Dan's awesome, and he's the typical middle child. You know, he's, he's the middle of seven, and, and everybody loves him. Yeah, he does a great know, job, and they, too. And they should. Yeah. yeah. All right, Mr. Mack, that was great. Hi, everybody. Thank you so very much for taking the time to listen to High Five Success Stories. To learn more about the podcast, feel free to follow me on Instagram. My handle is at High Five Success, or on Facebook, you can like High Five Success Stories with Steph Heaton. Or I'm also on Twitter. My handle is at High Five Hayden. And lastly, you can subscribe to the newsletter on my website, www.stephhayden.com. And if you get a second, I would really appreciate it if you could rate the podcast on iTunes. Thanks so much.